Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Well, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving holiday. I spent it with family and friends. If we have any guests with us today, uh, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you for the first Sunday of Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming or approaching. It was funny, uh, this past week, um, a third grader was in the office and she comes crashing into my office. She goes, Jeff, what does Advent mean? And I said, well, I've been actually thinking about that. Advent means coming or approaching, and there are three ways that Christ approaches us. God came to us in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to an unmarried girl in a manger. Secondly, Christ comes to us by his spirit every day into our hearts. And then thirdly, what Julie was just talking about, at the end of all time when God will wipe every tear away and, 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 put, and make every wrong right, he'll reconcile all things to himself, that's when he will come. So these three um, ways of Christ's approaching or coming to us should be on our minds during Advent. And we've chosen the theme, the gift of Advent, to get at the question of why does this matter? What benefit is afforded to us from Christ coming to us, both 2,000 years ago, every day, and then at the end of time? So let us look at some verses from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. A shoot shall come up out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you, by your spirit, might approach, might come to us and speak to our hearts as only you can speak. We pray that in a world marked with so much suffering, hopelessness, and despair, we might hear about your good gift of hope. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever experienced something that didn't go your way and then had like a friend tell you, don't worry, be happy? Or maybe you've, you've found yourself in a difficult situation and somebody says, don't worry, it'll all work out. And you're like, really? Will it really work out? 
Or maybe you found yourself something uh, didn't go as you planned. Somebody said, ah, it's all good. And you're thinking, it's not all good. It's not even close to being good. These are evidences of optimism. And we should be very careful about confusing optimism with hope. Hope is not just a general feeling about the future or a situation. That's optimism. Hope is a response based on faith that God will act in the future like God has acted in the past. Here's what I mean. A friend of mine has a daughter uh, who's really into the Harry Potter series. And one night, um, it's time for her to go to bed. And so her dad comes up, says, honey, you need to put the book away. You need to go to bed. She's like, dad, it's so exciting. Hermione and Harry, and this is such a critical moment. I, I can't go to bed. It's so exciting. I can't sleep. He says, honey, I'll give you 10 minutes. And then you got to turn out the light and go to sleep. She said, okay. About 10 minutes goes by and he comes back to her room. And he's shocked. The light's off and she's in bed. She already started to go to sleep. He says, honey, I'm, I'm so impressed that you, you went to bed on your own. Can, can I ask you why? She said, oh, it's okay, dad. Now I know how the story ends. And he says, how is that? She said, well, I I went ahead and just read the last chapter. She could sleep peacefully because she had hope. She knew, knew how the story was going to end. And it gave her hope and peace. Hope is knowing and trusting how the story is going to end. Hope is the quality of living in a story that you know how it's going to end and that light, that hope shines into the present moment. In our text today, Isaiah is exemplifying hope. In the midst of a culture that's being ruled by corrupt politicians, he says, one day we will have a leader we can trust. In the midst of Injustice, he says, one day we will have a just judge. In the midst of poverty, he says, one day we will have enough. One day the lion will lay down with the lamb. He says this in the midst of such violence. Although we don't know all the details, we know how the ending happens and how it occurs. See, these words from the prophet Isaiah were written over 700 years before Christ. And he was living at a time of great cultural disruption and destruction. The northern kingdom of Israel had been carried off into captivity. The southern kingdom of Judah was worshiping idols and dealing with major corruption. On one side, the Assyrians threatened them. On the other side, the Babylonians. And he was worried. Scholars think that he worked for about 60 years. He brought this message of hope in the midst of cultural despair. He's trying to talk about the end, about the future. We can have faith in the future. But let's be clear. Isaiah doesn't know all the details and neither do we. Hope does not mean knowing all the details about how things are gonna work out. But it's about trusting that the author of the story knows what he's up to. There was a, um, a book recently published by the 
philosopher Jonathan Lear who works at the University of Chicago, the book's titled Radical Hope. And he says, I quote here, what makes this hope radical is that it is directed toward a future goodness that transcends the current ability to understand what it is. Let me read that again. What makes this hope radical is that it is directed toward a future goodness that transcends the current ability to understand what it is. Radical hope is not knowing all the details, but it's about a way of living in the world, confident that God will set things right. It's interesting, in this book, he begins it by telling a story about Chief Plenty Coup, who was the chief, Native American chief of the Coup Nation. In 1932, um, a biographer interviewed the chief, and he has this line. When the buffalo went away, the hearts of my people fell to the ground, and they could not lift them up again. After this, nothing happened. What is this? After this, nothing happened. Lear says that the chief is pointing out the cultural devastation and destruction, the end of their history. They're no longer part of the story that they thought they were. And a lot of people lose hope. But radical hope is being able to move and act in the midst of that situation. Chief Plentycu drew on visions he had had when he was 11 years old. And it became, it gave him a way, a bridge to make it from the past to the future. And so the the Crow Nation survived long after most of the other Western tribes. Chief Plenty Coup gave them advice. He says, we need to co cooperate with the white man. We need to take advantage of educational opportunities, he said. We need to find new ways of doing things. Chief Plenty Coup even converted to Christianity and he found a way to combine his Christian faith with his past cultural practices. He had radical hope in the midst of cultural destruction about moving forward, about being part of a bigger story. That's radical hope. And Isaiah is exhibiting radical hope. He knows that God has made a covenant with his people. God is a God who makes and keeps promises. And so he says, we can have hope and faith for the future because of God's faithful activity in the past even though Isaiah doesn't know all of the details. Do you think he had an idea that in 700 years, God would enter human reality in the form of a baby to, given to an unmarried girl laying in a manger? That baby would grow up to be a man who would be crucified on a Roman cross? Did he know that three days later, he'd be raised from the dead? Do you think he had an idea that 2,000 years after that, we'd be sitting here in Roswell, Georgia, talking about him? He didn't know all the details, but he had faith in the author of the story, that he would bring it to resolution. That's hope. How do you think the world will end? How do you think the story ends? One of my favorite things is I kind of collect um, cultural artifacts and evidences of uh, different visions about how people think the world will end. So I have a couple for you. Um, so for the highbrow among you, I have some poetry, okay? Robert Frost's vision is laid out in his poem, Fire and Ice. It concludes with these words. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. Or how about T.S. Eliot in The Hollow Man? 
He says, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. That's poetry. Now, for some of us more lowbrow folks, I got some pop music for you. <laughs> R.E.M., the great Southern you know, Georgia band, nonchalantly sings, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Or Prince approaches looking at the end of the world and said, I'm gonna party like it's 1999. Britney Spears recommends, keep on dancing until the world ends. And then Tom Waits in his characteristically creepy way finds romance in the end. He says this, the earth died screaming while I lay here thinking of you. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Love you too, bud. They're, these are very different visions about how the world's gonna end. What's the end of the story? A lot of people think it's pretty bleak. 76% of Americans, according to a, a recent Wall Street Journal poll said that they believe that their children will be worse off than they are. Many of us look at the future and see a bleak future. Many folks in our culture are feeling despair, fear, feeling a hopelessness. What are we gonna do? Isaiah is realistic about the future. He doesn't know all the details, but he has radical hope that the author of the story is up to something and will bring it to its rightful conclusion, reconciling all things to himself. I once read a quote from the president, John F. Kennedy, who said this, the Chinese use two brush strokes to write the words crisis. One brush stroke stands for danger, the other for opportunity. In a crisis, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. Isaiah recognizes the opportunity for God to work in the midst of this cultural crisis he's in. He has a radical hope. He trusts that the author of the story knows what he's up to. That God has a way of surprising us. And Isaiah looks to the future and based on God's activity in the past has reason to hope. That God has not abandoned the world. God created the world and loved it. That he made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and stayed faithful to it. That he liberated the Hebrew slaves from Israel, from Egypt. That, that, that he came as a baby in the first century to an unmarried girl laying in a manger. God is up to something. And God is up to something for us too. That same God who intervened for Isaiah is for us. In the, in the midst of the geopolitical chaos of our world, in the midst of our anxiety, of our own personal problems, difficulties with our family, can we have that radical hope? Because if we can have that radical hope, it can transform how we live in the world today. If we trust that the author who's gonna end the story cares about us, we see that hope shine into our lives and it transforms how we live. I just remembered a song, um, by the singer-songwriter Jason Isbell. It's from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He's got this song called Hope the High Road. It's on his last record. It's really interesting. He said it was a response to what he noticed in the culture, that people were becoming indecent to one another. They were mistreating each other. And he says, if we're gonna have hope, then we need to take the high road. In other words, we need to be the change we want to see in the world, to be civil, to be decent with one another. 
So he concludes the song with these words. But wherever you are, I hope the high road leads you home again to a world you want to live in. Take the high road of hope to a world you want to live in. We know that God made good on his prophecy that he made through Isaiah. We can have hope because that same author is the author of our story and has made promises about the future, about the way things end. We can have hope. This week, a wife of some of, my, some of our friends, of Courtney and my, me, invited Courtney out for coffee to have a conversation. And the woman told Courtney that she and her husband were trying to decide if they wanted to try and have children. See, the husband was really worried about the prospect of children. See, his father abandoned his family when he had kids. And he's worried that that might happen to him. I asked Courtney, well, what did you say? And she said, well, I began by telling them, we didn't know we wanted kids until we had one. And then she said this, and I'm gonna quote directly from the text message she sent me. This is where I get all my good content. She said, it actually made me think of your sermon, how having a child right now is such an act of radical hope. We have no idea what the world they will grow up in will look like, but we trust that God will love them and the world. And radical hope can mean a lot more than just having kids. It can mean having an adoption, taking a new job. It can mean being generous in the midst of scarcity. But it means acting boldly in the face of fear, in the face of the anxiety that fills our world. Can we have that radical hope that we trust in the author of the story? This is what Advent is about, where we come together and we are a people marked and exemplifying, embodying hope. So that when we come together, we are carrying each other. When we are tempted to despair, we come together, not founded on our optimism, but founded on the hope found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the hope you offer us in your son, Jesus. We pray that we might be a light to our world, that we might exhibit hope, that people might find hope through our community, through the lives we lead. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.